In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to be talking about the theological virtue of faith. And in a particular way, I want to show you how even when we're not doing theology, we're not talking about religion, faith is still a very central part of the human life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as we begin our series on the theological virtues. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. In this episode, we're beginning a series on the theological virtues here on the St. Philip Institute podcast. Uh, We're going to start today with an episode on faith, and then we will do an episode on hope, and then finally, charity. Um, So this first episode is the first of the three theological virtues, and basically what I'm going to be doing in each of these episodes is offering just kind of a, a pretty basic summary, a pretty simple kind of exploration of what these terms mean, um, how we can grow in these virtues, and I'll be relying on a few different sources. So one of them will be the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, also, for faith, hope, and love for each of these theological virtues, we have pretty recent um, papal encyclicals that have been written. So I've, I'll be pulling from, in this episode, Lumen Fidei, uh, which is actually a work that was partially written by Pope Benedict XVI and partially written by Pope Francis. Um, this was, so it was in 2013 that that document came out, that encyclicals from 2013. I'm also using Joseph Pieper's book um, on faith, hope, and love, which is really excellent if you want to kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive. Um, so just to so you're sort of aware of where the sources are and kind of where I'm pulling from, um, if you want to play the uh, at-home game, as I like to say, those would be the places where you can dig for even more. Um, but yeah, so what we're trying to do in this series between the St. Philip Institute podcast and Life Beyond the Chariot is cover all seven virtues, and I have got the theological virtues. So we're starting today with faith. Um, and the, the, I think the best way to start is to ask you to just imagine, you know, if someone were to say, tell me what faith is, how would you reply? Or how do we define faith? What would your answer be? Or what kind of answers do you think other people would give to that question? When I was teaching high school theology a long, long time ago, um, I asked my students every year, what is faith? And regularly, I got two kinds of answers that seemed to be a really common response that also seemed to just miss the mark of what we mean, especially what the church, what the Catholic Church means by the term faith. So this is one answer that I got often, and you probably um, have heard it. Faith is to believe something that we can't really know, to believe something that we can't really know. That definition implies that it's better to know something than to believe it. It's better to know than to have faith. Um, And we can only really have faith about things that we can't really know, but that that seems sort of like not the ideal. And actually, in a certain way, the the Church does, does agree with this in that if we know something 
Uh, that is different than believing something. So there is a difference. Uh, the church doesn't want to put them at odds with one another, and I think a lot of times when people say, well, faith is when you believe something that you, you don't have any way of really knowing it. Like, you can't really know it, so you just believe it. Another answer that I got when I would ask my students, you know, what is faith? And this one was more common, actually. Believing what we know isn't true. And that seems to involve sort of a willful kind of um, deluding ourselves. Like, we know it's not really true, but I'm going to believe it anyways. So I'm, I'm a, for instance, I'm a, I'm a big Saints fan, the Saints football, and I love to believe that the Saints are going to go to the Super Bowl every year. Even if we start the year, you know, 0-4, I'm still like, no, this is, look, we win the rest of the games, and we, we win our division, we get into the playoffs, it can still happen. Um, that's believing what we basically know isn't true. That's not what really the church be, uh, means by the word faith. So what is a good definition for faith? Well, there's obviously a lot of different ways that you could go about defining it, but faith has to involve the concept of belief. If you're defining faith and it doesn't in word involve the, the concept of faith, I'm sorry, of belief or trust, then something really critical is missing. So this is one way we could define faith. It's to accept something is true, to believe something is true, without reservation on the testimony of another authority. Okay? In discussions theological or philosophical about faith, one of the key things that you're always going to see is it means trusting or believing— and those words are sort of interchangeable, and you'll see even in the New Testament, pistos means to trust, and we can translate it as believe. Faith means to believe or trust something as being true without, like, you're not totally sure, but you're just going to trust something. No, it means total and complete belief, total trust on someone else's testimony. So there is a distinction between knowing something yourself, having firsthand knowledge, and faith or belief, which is going to be secondhand, maybe thirdhand, right? But it's not immediate and it's not direct. And I want to start off here by saying we do not have to be in the situation where we say to believe something is always going to mean that what we should move past that to where we actually know. Um, as you'll see, there's plenty of places in just human sort of natural circumstances we're we're gonna we're gonna operate with faith, um, even when we're not talking or not talking about theology and not doing theology. So accepting as true without reservation on the authority of some higher authority, the authority or testimony of someone else. Right? You didn't acquire the information yourself. And trust, as I said, is really key. Um, but what does it mean to trust? To trust in what? When we define faith carefully, and you see this in Pope Francis and Pope Benedict's encyclical, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, um, and even in a philosophical account like Joseph Pieper's, trust that we have in faith, it means to trust not a set of facts, not to trust what somebody said because what they said sounded good, but because of the person who says it. So in a certain way, faith goes beyond the thing that you have faith in, the facts, the ideas, the statements, the propositions, and, and faith, properly speaking, resides in the person who is giving you the testimony, okay? So it's always faith in a person, and it always also is going to involve something being revealed, 
Um, what this person has revealed to me, I believe to be true. And that is really sort of, I think, for, for some you know, contemporary people, people in the modern world, that's hard. It's hard to trust other people. Um, sometimes it's hard to even trust ourselves, right? We're so e- we can so easily delude ourselves um, that that it's really hard to imagine trusting or putting faith in someone else. But trusting what they reveal because of who they are is really key to the faith. So Joseph Pieper, for instance, would say, you know, if you know a person to generally be a liar, to generally be unreliable, then it would be, basically, it would be impossible to put your faith in them because you don't have any good reasons to trust in them. So there is a level of reason that cooperates even in the life of faith. So faith does not exclude reason, but in a certain sense, it goes beyond reason. Um, one of my favorite thinkers on, um, you know, on the scene today within, within Catholicism is Bishop Barron, recently appointed as the Bishop of uh, Winona, Rochester, in Minnesota. He often says, when we talk about faith, we're talking about trust, we're talking about belief, and he uses this analogy to explain it, which I think is very helpful. And that is, when you get to know a person, right, say maybe someone who you may want to date right, your future spouse, when you begin to get to know them, you're learning things about them. You're finding out facts, like where they're from, how old they are, what kind of family they had. Did you have siblings? How many? Are you the oldest? You know, are your parents still married? Are they still alive? Where did you grow up? Um, what did you do, you know, in high school? What, what kind of person were you? These sorts of things. So you're learning propositions, right? Oh, this person has this many siblings, grew up in this place, is this old, that sort of thing a list of facts. Those can sort of be verified, right? If you wanted to, you could investigate all of the things that someone tells you about themselves and and figure out whether or not they're true. But in any serious relationship, so if you're talking about dating or like a really deep friendship or something, you are at some point in that relationship going to have to get to a decision about whether you want to trust this person about things that you can't verify. So, for instance, about whether or not they are happy or sad, whether or not they're telling you the truth about their interior life, the way they feel about something, uh, what they think about something, what their preferences are, right? These are things that are a little difficult to empirically observe and get data on. Uh, You have to, at some point, move from learning about someone which is a a very rational thing to learn facts, to knowing, believing, trusting the person who tells you those facts. And when you make that decision, when when you cross that boundary between knowing about towards having faith in someone, even just on a human level, Um, It means that you're going to trust everything that they say fundamentally, right? You're going to be in a a different position with respect to them. You're going to have an an openness towards what they're saying um, rather than kind of operating with a hermeneutic of suspicion, like, well, I don't know, is that really true what they said, or, or should I, you know, do some research and see if they're really telling the truth? And there's a lot of different ways that this works itself out in human relationships. Children typically tend to trust their parents um, just sort of by default. They don't have any other, you know, any other options. Um, human beings, as they grow older, as you know, as you become an adult, it's, it's more rare to trust someone like that. But you very naturally do get to that point um, as you get to know someone better. So this, this, this is kind of the big thing to start with. 
knowing versus believing, right? Do we have to choose to either know something or believe it? Sometimes you do have to choose when it's not possible for you to know. And there are some sorts of things, some sorts of things that we can't just know. We don't have access to. I gave some examples earlier of, you know, interior dispositions, whether someone is sad, upset, excited, those sorts of things. Really, we we can't know exactly for sure what someone is feeling. We have to kind of take their word for it. We have to put some trust in them, some level of faith, right? We can't, we don't have access to the firsthand account of what someone else is thinking or feeling. We have to trust what they're saying. Um, on, on the other hand, knowledge is going to work in concert with belief, right? So again, the example of a person you've known well, if you get to know them very well, you're going to have reasons for either trusting them or distrusting them. It won't be just a blind, complete guess, oh, I'm going to have faith in them or not. There will be some reasons that lead up to it. In a very human sort of way, I want to submit to you that everyone has to live a life of some kind of faith, right? And this is not a preachy, religious sort of thing. This is not just, you know, theologically. You've got to believe in something. Um, But just very practically, as human people, we do trust others. We do have different kinds of faith. Now, that's not always the same kind of faith as the faith you might have in, for instance, the faith that I have in Jesus Christ is different than the faith I have in, you know, just regular people that I'm interacting with. But our society actually operates in large part on the assumption that we can trust people. So one of the examples Pieper uses in the book here uh, that I love is the difference between communication in a free environment, right, a, a democracy somewhere where citizens are legitimately free to express themselves, compared to the human communications in a tyrannical environment like in the Soviet Union, okay? In the Soviet Union, it, was, it would be very difficult to trust whether or not you could speak freely with another person because there's always this concern about whether or not they might turn you in, whether or not you might betray the beliefs that you're supposed to hold or, you know, the, the ideas that you're supposed to live up to because this is what the Soviets are telling you. This is the truth and you have to believe it. So Pieper says, in that kind of an environment, communication breaks down because people don't know who they can trust. And he said, that's actually an extreme example. You have to come up with, really fabricate some very extreme examples to show places where people don't fundamentally operate with some kind of faith in the world around them. But outside of those, in in a free society, people actually have a tremendous amount of faith. You talk to people, mostly it means you're putting some faith in them. Because if you didn't trust anything they were saying, if you didn't trust the questions they were asking you, that they really wanted to know something, but that they were going to use it for you know against you, you would change your manner of speech. You would change your manner of being toward them. So faith actually operates in our everyday lives very, very often. I'll give you another example. He talks about different levels of knowledge and different levels of faith. Sometimes we can know certain things for ourselves, but not everybody's going to know the same kinds of things. Okay, so for instance, the, the idea of gravity. I know something about gravity, namely if I drop something, it's going to fall, right? If I jump, I'm not going to go very high. 
uh, gravity will pull me down, especially as heavy as I am. It'll really pull me down, right? Um, but I don't actually understand the science of gravity. I could tell you very little about mathematically or in terms of physics how gravity works, but I believe that it does work, right? And probably most of you are like that. Maybe some of you are scientists and you know a lot about gravity, but I bet there are other people that know even more about it. The point is, even in something as basic as gravity, everybody basically knows that gravity is real, experiences that, and trusts in it. We can count on it. If you're standing on a roof, it's dumb to jump off because of gravity. It is equally valid to believe as I do, that I should not jump off of a building because it's going to hurt me because, of, because gravity will pull me down, even though I can't tell you exactly how that works. I can't, can't calculate the force that gravity would have on me if I jumped off of a 100-foot building. I don't, I don't know anything about the math or the science of that, but I, but I believe it. And in believing that, I am not wrong or in a, a weaker position um, in terms of like my basic knowledge of gravity even compared to an expert who knows more about it but would arrive at the same conclusion, I shouldn't jump, right? That this is a bad idea. So there's all kinds of ways in our, in our day-to-day lives that we have to trust something someone else is telling us because we either don't have the time or maybe sometimes don't have the, the ability to know it firsthand for ourselves. When I took physics in high school and AP physics in high school, my, my teacher, Mr. Brantley, used to make us go through a derivation of all the basic formulas that we were using because he said he wanted us to know it firsthand. This is how you get it, this, this formula. This is how it was arrived at. So you know it for real. And I always kind of admired that, thought that was sort of cool. Um, but what I realized even then is, man, most of the things that you do and deal with in your life, you don't really know that much about them and you trust them based on the testimony of someone else. So in, in a theological context, right, that's just like everybody has to deal with those kinds of, that kind of faith, trusting other people, trusting their experience, their knowledge, because you are not going to acquire it for yourself. When it comes to theology or religious faith, sometimes we have this tendency to see as like, well, that's weaker than really knowing something. And there's a difference, though, when, when we talk of religious faith, theological faith, belief in a, in a theological sense. We are trusting someone, something to be true based on someone's testimony, just like we do in science, math, law, whatever. Most of the time, we're trusting someone else's authority. In theology, though, that authority is God himself, and the revelation of God is sacred scripture and sacred tradition. So in a theological context, when we talk about faith, it means belief, trust in an unreserved fashion in the authority of a witness, and that witness is very unique. It's God, or it's God himself. So this is, this is a way of kind of thinking about faith theologically. And again, that kind of faith to trust in God does not arise in a vacuum and completely out of nothing. So the Catholic Church insists that we can know that God is real and that God exists by reason alone, but then there are other things about God that we're not going to be able to come to know without the gift of faith. So in a human way, we do have levels of faith in other people and other institutions, and I've kind of given you a few examples of that. When it comes to theological faith, supernatural faith, it is infused in us as a gift. 
Our reason can get us to prepare and be open to receive that gift of faith, but, but faith, properly speaking, in a theological context, is a supernatural gift that is given to us by grace, right? And we receive that grace in baptism. So it, it is infused within us as a gift, and then it requires throughout our lives a continual response, a continual openness, right? So there's still freedom when we believe. This is one of the, the common sort of contemporary objections that if you have belief in something, it means you're not free. Actually, in order to truly believe something, you have to be freely choosing it, right? You cannot be forced to believe anything. Truth, I'm sorry, the will, volition, is intimately involved in the decision to believe or to trust. And that that's just as true in human context as it is in a theological or religious context. To believe in Jesus Christ is a gift, but it also requires our own decision, our own will um, to, to really choose that. There's something else here, um, and you see this especially in Lumen Fidei, this connection between truth and belief and love and belief. And the idea is that ultimately what faith is, is to trust in God's love for us. So in the encyclical Lumen Fidei, Pope Francis and and Pope Benedict discuss Abraham as the father of faith, right? This is what the Catechism calls Abraham. He's He's our father in faith. Why? Because he trusted in God, not just in his promises, but in God. And there's, there's a difference there. To trust someone's words, their promises, their, what they say, is different than trusting the person. Abraham did trust God's promises, but he trusted them because he knew who God was. He was aware of the goodness of God, and because of that was able to listen to um, and follow what, what God was calling him to. And we see the same thing for Moses and really all the mediators of the covenants in the Old Testament. They know who God is, and they trust in him, in him, and because of that, believe the things that he says. So we can only, in a certain way, we can only believe God, believe what he says, if we believe in him. And that believing in him is really the deeper meaning of faith. So I'm going to read just a, a one paragraph here from Lumen Fidei um, to give you an, sort of an example of, of the way Pope Francis and uh, Pope Benedict discuss this. This is paragraph 28 from Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith. The discovery of love as a source of knowledge, which is part of the primordial experience of every man and woman, finds authoritative expression in the biblical understanding of faith. Right? Love is a source of knowledge. We all experience this, and this is true in a particular way in the biblical vision of faith. In savoring the love by which God chose them and made them a people, Israel came to understand the overall unity of the divine plan. Faith, knowledge, because it is born of God's covenant love, is knowledge which lights up a path in history. That is why in the Bible, truth and fidelity go together. The true God is the God of fidelity who keeps his promises and makes possible in time, a deeper understanding of his plan. So I want you to just think really quickly of sort of the story of the Old Testament. All of the different promises that are made to the people of Israel, and that as God fulfills each of them, as each of those promises come to pass, 
the people of Israel are able to have a deeper faith in him because their trust in him starts with trusting him, but as his words come true, as his promises come true, they then have greater evidence. They know in a deeper way the faith that they already had. Their faith is deepened, right? And then they have more things that they can pass on and celebrate to others. So one of the things that happens in the Old Testament is the people of Israel will share with their offspring the things that God did for their ancestors. And in a very real way, that's this is how Lumen Fidei describes the faith of the Old Testament. It is celebrating the good things that God has done for the people of Israel because of who he is. So there's this link between the knowledge of what God has done, the truth of who he is, and ultimately, and this is the highest point of of faith, love of God, to love him for who he is. And this kind of gets at one of the things that's really interesting and difficult about trying to do sort of a discussion of the the three uh, theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, is that they're all woven together. So for just one example of faith and hope and love being together in this context of the Old Testament, people have faith in God because of who he is, the promises that he makes, right? They love him more as he fulfills more of his promises. And as he fulfills more of his promises, they begin to have more hope in the other promises that he is making. And they're all just (laughs) wound up together. Um, So just kind of to to sort of step back a little bit and and, and think more big picture about this series we're doing on the virtues and faith, hope, and love, and the theological virtues. The theological virtues are different than the cardinal virtues, which Mickey and Deanna are doing such a great job with discussing on the Life Beyond the Chariot podcast, in that the theological virtues are infused in the soul through grace. But what's kind of neat about it is the theological virtues, which are all a gift. Faith, hope, and love are gifts given to us by God through grace in the sacraments. When we receive those gifts, we then are in a position to better implement, to better live out even the cardinal virtues, which everybody just has access to without grace. It makes it easier on us to do even the natural human things when we cultivate the theological um, virtues that are given to us, faith, hope, and love. A couple more things here about about faith, kind of to to, to wrap things up, and that is that uh, faith in the Old Testament is rooted in a remembrance of God's deeds. In the New Testament, faith is rooted in the person of Christ, his mission, and above all, his passion, death, and resurrection. Christocentric uh, is is the key. Faith is Christocentric in the New Testament, and Christ is the root of everything. But also, as much as faith is about Christ, faith is communal, and it's about communion. So to be in communion with others is actually a really critical piece of faith. And you see this even in just the simple example of, of talking with someone and sharing openly with them when you're not in a communist dictatorship and you're just having a conversation with someone. Most normal conversations with other people are open, trusting, and giving, and it has to be that way in both sides of the conversation, right? If you've ever had a conversation where you feel like, man, this person I'm talking to just doesn't want to tell me anything. They don't want to answer any of my questions. They're being very evasive with their their answers or very short very curt. It's 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 actually impossible to have a conversation with someone who's, you know, just shut down. 
even in just human levels like that, we have to have a communal and a, a communal relationship and a communion with others in order for faith to really live. So one of the things that Lumen Fide insists on is that for faith to be real, it has to be rooted in a communion. It has to be rooted, in other words, in the church. The church is the place where faith can be nurtured, and we can't do it just individually. And I think that's a really important thing to sort of emphasize, that there, there can be a very real temptation for us as Catholics to think, I just got to work on all this stuff. I got to study it. I got to make better choices. I got to do the right thing individually. But faith isn't an individual enterprise, because faith is about hearing. Faith is about learning the testimony from someone else, right? It has to be passed down. It has to be shared, and you can't do it in isolation. Faith also is its own kind of reason. I think that's really important. You know, we have John Paul II's famous encyclical, uh, encyclical Fetus et Ratio, Faith and Reason. These are the two wings on which a human spirit kind of soars up to, to, to God. Just as much as faith is important, it doesn't mean that reason goes out the window. And I think I've, I've tried to make that clear. And ultimately, faith is about union with other people. So I want to close just by reading uh, real briefly the way the Catechism of the Catholic Church describes faith to kind of sort of sum things up. So this is paragraph 1814 in the Catechism. Faith is a theological virtue by which we believe in God, right? We believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. Again, the role of freedom. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. The righteous shall live by faith, and living faith works through charity. The gift of faith remains in one who has not sinned against it, but faith apart from works is dead when it is deprived of hope and love. See, again, hope and love are even wrapped up in the catechism's definition of faith. They're all, they're all tied together. Faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of the body when it is deprived of hope and love. The disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. So there's a sense in which we've got to receive faith from other people, but we're also, we're also called to share the faith with others. Um, and it is wrapped up with hope and love at the same time. So this is just a real, as I said, a very quick sort of basic overview of some definitional things about faith, what the church means by it. Um, and, and in particular, I, I hope you, what you've seen the most clearly is that even when we're not talking about theology, even when we're not talking about spirituality, human beings have faith in other people all the time, most of the time. So if you're ever in a conversation with somebody and, and you're, you're talking about the issue of faith and they say, well, I, you know, I don't trust things that I can't prove myself. I, I challenge you to sort of turn that question around on them and say, well, how do you ever deal with anything? How do you go to a stoplight if you don't trust something you can't prove, namely that other people aren't going to just drive through when the light turns green, right? There's all sorts of examples of human beings having to trust other people. And what, what faith means in a theological context is simply taking that very natural human desire or human capacity to trust others and orienting it towards the person who we can trust more than anyone else, namely the living God, who is the source of all truth, the source of all freedom, and gives us faith. 
So he gives that gift to us, and, and what we're asked to do is simply turn it towards him. So hope you enjoyed this first episode. Um, again, uh, these are the sources I'll be using in this series. Joseph Pieper's Faith, Hope, and Love. Excellent, excellent book. I'm really enjoying digging into it. And believe me, there's like two hours more we could have said just about that book. Lumen Fidei, uh, The Light of Faith, Pope Francis and Pope Benedict. And then just really briefly, The Catechism of the Catholic Church. Thanks. Thanks.